Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're talking about a topic that all of us have to figure out at some point in life, which is how to work with difficult people. So we all know how challenging it is to work with difficult people. A few stats that I found in a study by Christine Parath, who's a professor at Georgetown, found that 80% of people who are on the receiving end of some type of uncivil behavior, so you could think mean behavior, um, just not kind, lost work time, worrying about the incident, 63% lost work time attempting to avoid the person after the incident, 66% said their performance had declined, and 12% said they left their job because of the uncivil treatment. And I can say that I've done all of those things, maybe except for leaving a job, but I have left a client before, so I guess that's similar in trying to work with people that I personally found challenging to work with. And I'm not going to do a lot of stats in this episode because I think if you are currently working with someone challenging or you have worked with someone challenging in the past, you know it's a challenge. You, You know it's difficult and you know the impacts that it can have on your life, your emotional health, your performance, your relationships with other people. So really in this episode, I want to talk about other than leaving, other than exiting the relationship or exiting that work environment, what are some things we can all do to improve our skill, our ability, um, our level of emotional health in working with people that we find difficult? So I am in love with lists. I am a very practical person at heart. So a list just speaks to my soul. So for today's episode, I'm going to share my top tips for working with difficult people. And I think to make the most value out of this for yourselves, to make it more applicable and just most useful, you should get in your mind the one or two people that you find or have found in the past most challenging to work with and think through how these principles might apply to those relationships. And that could be someone that you've always found it difficult to work with, or it could be someone with whom you're just in a difficult season at this moment in time. So these strategies work with work people, they work with all people. So whether that is a family member, a a friend, a neighbor, someone in the community, or someone you're working with, these strategies should be able to apply. So I want you to just think about how could you use these tips, these strategies, these ways of thinking, these ways of framing the relationship to improve the relationship that you have, Um, or maybe how could you have used them in the past? And when I think of a successful relationship, it is one that is open, honest, which of course is not the same thing as telling everything you know necessarily or everything you think, but it is honest. 
there are some positive feelings there, meaning some love, some like, some appreciation for the other person and just who they are. There's some level of peace. And it's just missing and lacking that ongoing emotional tension that gets in the way of effective communication and effective work. So, and that's not to say that every relationship, in every relationship, there aren't going to be difficult conversations that need to be had. They absolutely do. And those conversations aren't necessarily going to create a bunch of positive feelings, which is okay. But in an ongoing way, you want to, you know, working towards some level of peace and some level of positivity in the relationship. So that's what today's episode is about. How to work with people that we find difficult or challenging. What are some strategies and tips that you can use to apply to that relationship, to apply to your mindset, your frame of reference, so that over time there is more peace, there's more positivity, there's more joy, and there's less of the negatives, right? There's less tension, there's less um, difficulty, there's less stress when it comes to working with that person. So that's what we're going to get into, and I'm going to get started with my top tips. So number one, my first tip to consider is, are they difficult or are they different? Are they difficult or are they different? I ask this because I do a good bit of work and research with personality and personality profiles. And one thing the research and just practical experience tells us is that we like people who are like us, people who value the things we value, who see the world in the same way we see the world. I'm not even going to get into politics, and it's easy and very common to have an unconscious bias toward the people who are not like us, the people who are different. For example, if I put it in a work context, some of us are the people who like beautiful and amazing PowerPoint slides. I'm one of those people. I like my materials to look a certain way. I feel like it reflects who I am as a person. I have really high aesthetics, and so I want it to look really nice. Others of us are people who don't care about the look and feel as long as the content is there. It can be black and white, three different fonts. As long as the content is right, it is good. And if you are working with someone who's different, if you are a person who believes that all the niceties around it are fluff and you're working with someone who cares about that, that is challenging and that could make the person appear difficult when actually they're not difficult, they're just different. And those differences can span so many different things like, do I like details or do I prefer the big picture? Do I like to chat it up or do I prefer to put my head down and just get my work done? Do I like lots of recognition from my peers or others or do I really prefer to be in the background? So before we label someone as difficult, we have to understand how they may just be different. And in one inclusion class I took, they encourage us to ask the question, does the difference make a difference? Meaning, does this difference that I'm experiencing have a significant impact on something that is important, like our financials or safety or customer service or just the effectiveness of the product? Does it have a significant difference? If it does, then that difference is worth exploring to make sure we're seeing you know, what the need is the same way we're we're thinking about in the same way on how to meet that need. Like it's worth exploring and not ignoring if the difference makes a difference. But if that difference doesn't make a difference, meaning it doesn't impact something significant to the business or 
to the outcomes of our relationship, it may just be worth ignoring and allowing for flexibility in that particular area. And by the way, along with work, it works with all kinds of relationships too. So some of us like to plan every detail and some of us like to be really flexible and see where the moment takes us. You know, if we're not careful, we will frame and label someone else's difference as a difficulty or as a problem, when in reality, it is just a difference. So my first tip is ask yourself, does the difference make a difference? And is it that this person is really difficult or are they just different? So tip number two is to identify if you have a fear that is attached to the behavior that bothers you so much. So, Because oftentimes what bothers us so much in other people is what we fear in ourselves. Our fears about who we are and how we show up makes us super sensitive and almost annoyed when we see that same behavior or that same characteristic in others. So I'll give you a couple examples, personal, professional. First, personal, I love a very clean house, but I'm really kind of a junky person at heart. <laughs> so it's not natural for me to automatically put everything away as soon as I take it out. It's more of a learned behavior because I like living in cleanliness and I like how it looks and makes me feel when everything's in the right place. But it's really more of a learned behavior than a natural behavior. And because of that, I'm sure I drive my family crazy because, you know, the house may start neat as a pin by Friday, on Friday, but by Sunday after church, things are a little mixed up. And I used to have this habit of Sunday really kind of turning into drill sergeant to get everything cleaned up. I don't do that anymore because Sunday's our relaxed day. But, you know, I have this, it's more of a learned behavior. And I remember one time, not too, too long ago, unfortunately, I'm still growing. I remember we were all laying on the couch, just hanging out on Sundays, which I love to do. And I, you know, I don't like, I don't like the house to be so neat. People feel uncomfortable in it either. I mean, it's a pretty relaxed house, like relaxed furniture and all those kind of things. So anyway, we're laying around the house and it's around seven. And my husband says, oh, casually mentions, hey, a friend of ours is going to stop by in a few minutes for whatever reason. And I look around the house at that moment and nearly lose my mind. <laughs> I immediately turned into a drill sergeant and figuring out what needs to be done in these next 30 minutes to pull the house back together. And it honestly didn't take that long, but it triggered in me this gap that I have in myself and that I like to be neat as a pin, but it's not actually my natural behavior. And the idea of someone walking into what I consider to be nonsense all around got me going. You know, so was it really that terrible? No, because we got it straightened literally a few minutes. Did I overreact? Yes. Why? Because it would have said something about me that I don't like to think is who I am, right? It's not who I want to be. And this can show up personally and professionally in that when people give us feedback or somehow operate in a way that is linked to the behavior or the characteristic we don't like in ourselves, it can make us overreact. So professionally, how this can show up is maybe you've been working on cultivating great relationships with your peers because it's not something you've done well before. And maybe you've gotten feedback on it before and it's just made you more sensitive to that area. So you're already a little sensitive. You've been doing things to try to overcome it. And then your peer comes and gives you feedback about something you said and how it made them feel and you lose it. 
you know, is it based on their feedback? You get into a defensive mode. You know, I didn't do that. That's not what I intended. You know, just get into a really defensive mode. And is that defensive response based on their feedback alone? Maybe not. It may be based on them bringing to the forefront an identity that you have tried to leave behind. So tip number two is, again, before we label someone as difficult, is to really think about and question, do I feel like that person's difficult because they're demonstrating a behavior that I either see or fear in myself? Is what they're doing somehow connected to something that I fear about myself or something I've been trying to leave behind? Because it's interesting how annoying the things we dislike about ourselves are very frustrating and annoying when we see them in other people. So before you label them difficult, at least give a consideration. What is it that makes them feel so difficult to me? And is that something that either I have as a trait or something I've tried to leave behind? Tip number three is to choose the most generous story. So a lot of the training that I have either attended or given on having difficult conversations highlights that we all tell ourselves stories about other people's behavior, their decisions, their actions, their motives, etc. For example, Jane's coming in late to work and we ascribe a whole story to Jane and why she's late. She was hanging out late. She's lazy. She doesn't care about my time or care about other people's time. All she thinks about is herself. And, you know, the fact that we create these stories can really work against us in forming good relationships and working with other people, uh, but it can also work for us. And I'll tell you how. The first thing we should do is obviously just not assume anything to start. You know, when we see people's behaviors, not immediately allow our mind to go into creating these stories, these backstories for people <laughs> that uh, we create based on our own experiences, filters and ideas. We should just try not to do it. But, and the reality is we often do create stories. So if we are going to create a story, use that tendency, that bias in all of us to create the most generous story, the most empathetic story that we can for that person. So I'll give you two quick examples, one personal, one work. I really learned this most in a personal example. So I used to have, I might have mentioned this before, I used to have pretty bad road rage. So when someone was moving slow or jumping in front of me or in any way wasting my time on the road, it infuriated me. And I remember one time I was riding with my daughter and my sister and we were in one lane and there were cars in the lane next to us. And someone in that lane next to us wasn't going, you know, the light had turned green, but they weren't going. And I started blowing my horn because I'm thinking, they are totally wasting these people's time. And my sister looked at me like I was crazy. She was like, that's not even your lane. Like, why are you worried about it? And I remember telling her, well, it's like, I hate when people waste people's time. Like, it's just so rude. And she sent me a couple of memes after that, that were hilarious about people <laughs> road rage, um, which I know can get really dangerous. So I don't mean to take that part of it um, lightly, but she sent me a couple of memes about, it, and I realized that that is the story I was telling myself they are wasting my time. And when I told myself that story, it made me angry because there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Uh, and this was especially in a time in my life where honestly, I was probably too busy to start with. So <laughs> I already didn't have enough time and someone wasting my time just was like fuel to the fire. But I decided I was delivering this training on having difficult conversations with people. And I decided to just choose a different story when I'm driving. 
And the different story I chose was they could be having a very bad day. You know, I have had plenty of very bad days when I am distracted. They could be on their way to the hospital somewhere. They could be checking their phone because something's wrong with a family member. And by just telling myself a different story, my emotions changed, my physical response changed. I'm sure my blood pressure changed. And it really just took away the anger. And you can do that with people you know or people you don't know. You can tell yourself the most generous, the most empathetic, the most kind story about what you're seeing. So instead of thinking, what's the worst intention this person could have? They're trying to make life difficult. They're after me. They're ridiculous. You can tell yourself something more empathetic. And that empathy actually changes your own personal emotions and response. So from a work context, I remember one time my manager and I were working with someone who was like a business partner. I think they were like a peer of hers, maybe. And they talked incessantly. So we would schedule a meeting for 30 minutes. And these were virtual like phone phone meetings. And we'd be in one place, me and my manager, and that person was in another location. And we would schedule these meetings for 30 minutes. And they would always last over an hour because the person just talked on and on without even a breath. And it it drove me crazy. So we're sitting in the same meeting um, and I'm, you know, about to lose it. This meeting was also the same time when I was really super busy. So again, felt like wasting my time. And my manager's like, I asked her, I was like, how are you so calm in these meetings? And she'd say things like, oh, he just needs to get it out. You know, he's in a difficult place. He really needs to be heard. She had this very empathetic story that she was telling compared to this very uh, judgy story I was telling about him wasting my time. And because of that, we had the same experience, yet our experience was completely different because we were having different emotional reactions, different physical reactions, and we were taking different energy from that meeting onto our next event. So this tip is... Tell yourself the most generous and empathetic story about other people. It is kind to them, one, but it's also very kind to yourself because it helps you to manage your own emotions, your own physical response, your own energy, and to assume positive intent and to give other people the benefit of the doubt. So tell yourself the most generous story. Tip number four is let them off the hook. So one scripture that has helped me so much in spending less time just evaluating other people's behavior is Romans 14, 4. And it says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. And it's in a chapter, Romans 14, that just is talking about how we need to give people freedom and flexibility on the things that don't matter and how even if we disagree, who are we to decide anyway? So if I think back to the sayings that people say when we talk about ignoring the judgments of other people, you know, sometimes people will say, why am I worried about them when they don't have a heaven or hell to put me in? And we can remind ourselves of that. Why am I worried about their behavior when they are not my servant? They have to answer to God, not me. And so I often remind myself of this scripture when I feel myself judging someone, I say to myself, stop, who am I to judge another man's servant? Meaning, who am I to judge another human being that God has created? He is their creator. 
It's up to him to evaluate their behavior. So I can let them off my useless hook, which means nothing anyway. Um, what hook do I have? And put my energy on other things that I actually can influence and control. I don't know if y'all heard this song. It's called Drink Water and Mind My Business. <laughs> it's like a Caribbean flavored song. If you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it. But how can we govern ourselves accordingly? Drink water and mind our business. And you know, another reality of this is that it acknowledges and accepts that we're all growing in different ways. So sometimes we want people to be mature in the areas that we're mature in, but that's not reality, right? We're each growing in different ways. We're each focused on different things at different times. So we're not going to all be equally mature in one particular area all the time. And you know, it can be frustrating when we're really mature in an area and we're interacting with someone else that hasn't grown in that area yet. It can be very frustrating and it is absolutely the reality of most relationships. So we'll be happier and better able to work with people who are different when we just avoid evaluating them based on their particular growth pattern and maturity. And that's what that whole scripture and chapter in Romans is about. Uh, you should really read it. Paul is admonishing us and encouraging us to just stop judging and start loving people from where they are. Because by the way, we want people to do the same thing for us. And it reminds me of something I'm seeing on social media. You all probably have as well on, you know, all the social media channels, which basically says something like, I'm only allowing people into my life that add value. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And, you know, I'm always perplexed by that because I think, aren't we also called to support other people? Aren't we called to help other people? Aren't we called to help other people grow? You know, not everyone that comes into your life is going to come into your life to add value to your life. Now, in reality, I think every relationship adds some kind of value. I can think about people I've mentored. I put it in quotes, air quotes, if you're watching on YouTube, because you know how it is when you mentor someone else, they're mentoring you right back. You're learning from their perspective. They're usually giving you ideas. You're kind of learning from the way they think about something. So in reality, they are adding something, but that is an interesting way to evaluate a relationship just based on are they adding to me, as opposed to maybe it's something I can add to them. You know, no, God works through other people, right? There's a scripture that says iron sharpens iron. And that's true. And it's not to say that every relationship be, should be one that is taking from you and not adding. You know, you want to balance. But this idea that every person that we meet is going to be able to somehow up level us seems a little, I don't know, unrealistic at best, selfish at worst. So, you know, one way to think about working with people who are difficult or challenging is are they just growing in different ways? Are they maturing in different areas than you are? And is that okay? How can we be okay with other people growing in their ways, on their trajectory, in their areas, and just show them a lot of grace, uh, show them a lot of love, and as I call it, let them off the hook. Not that we really have a hook, most of us, unless we're in a managerial relationship, but just kind of let them off the hook and just love them for where they are. Okay, my next tip is to share your frustration with a trusted and balanced friend. So, and I emphasize trusted and balanced because life isn't meant to be done alone. Leadership isn't meant to be done alone. Work isn't meant to be done alone. 
And um, an author, T.A. Webb, said that a burden shared is a burden halved. And I feel like that. Like, I feel like that's true for me in my life. Um, I've also heard uh, someone say that a burden shared is a burden halved or doubled, depending on who you share it with. So back to the idea of make sure it's someone who is trusted and balanced, um, who can give you perspective. You know, when you share a challenge with other people, sometimes they can tell you, am I overreacting? Is this more about me and less about them? You know, it kind of is this me or is this them? They can kind of help you understand that. And then two, they can also help you understand strategies for managing the particular situation. I remember in work, there were a couple of times when I was going to work for someone, especially like a manager, and people would give me their tips for working with that manager. You know, kind of do this, don't do this. Here's what works well. Um, I've had times when I was going to work for someone that other people knew were challenging and they reached out and were like, hey, I know it could be challenging. Let me know if you need to talk. Um, so just this idea that we don't want to cultivate a solo independent life because when things are challenging, you want to have other people who can give you perspective and give you ideas for how to, you know, how to manage it. And even if they don't give you perspective or ideas, sometimes it's just the support, being able to share our challenge with someone else, have them empathize and listen, and just the support alone can somehow make it feel less heavy. So, you know, I think about my poor husband, he gets it all. And this morning when he was leaving, it was so sweet. He said, that's what I'm here for. And I so appreciate that. I try not to take advantage of that or take it for granted, but, you know, sharing it with someone else makes a difference. So if it's not a spouse or a partner or um, a close colleague at work, who can you share it with? Um, Yesterday, I went on a five mile walk with a friend of mine. And that walk was everything. We got outside, we got to move around, and we just got to talk about all the things, the work things, the business things, relationships, parenting, I mean, everything. And it was so helpful. She actually has amazing ideas. So I learned a lot from it too. But even if I didn't, just the sharing of where we are, I find really helpful. And I find that it definitely alleviates burdens. So you know, life, leadership, work are not meant to be done alone. Cultivate real relationships with people. And when you have them, be okay, again, trusted and balanced, be okay being vulnerable enough to share where you are and what your challenges are. Um, Sometimes we are always the giver in a relationship, but we don't need to always be the strong friend, right? We don't always need to be the strong family members. Sometimes we can be the person who just is in need of support and empathy and care, and that is okay. So this tip is share it, share this challenge with a trusted and balanced friend. So my last two tips are for a different situation. So sometimes you're working with someone or in relationship with someone that really has ill intent and truly means you no good. (laughs) I'm not talking about quite abusive relationships because I don't have any expertise in that. But there are people like that who just have ill intent, who are after us and that truly mean us absolutely no good. In my experience, it hasn't been most people, but there are people like that. And when you have to work with them, it is particularly challenging. So we don't want to put people in that category when we don't know. So back to all the other tips about not assuming intent. Um, We don't want to put people in this category if we don't know. But sometimes we know, like we've gotten enough 
it's been uncovered. We've heard something. Um, and we now know that this person really means me no good. So what are some things I can do in that situation? So two quick tips about that. One strategy is to avoid them. So I remember working with someone who was very challenging to work with. I don't know if it was they were ill-intended, but um, they really had poor emotional management. So you never knew if they were coming in hot, cold, or neutral. And I just found that exhausting. So, you know, I just did things to avoid them, um, not like a wholesale completely avoid because it was a work context and I couldn't do that. But I would schedule shorter meetings, you know, so maybe it was 20, 30 minutes versus an hour. So we would just focus on the topics at hand. I figured out other ways of getting things done by leveraging people on their team who were easier to work with. I'd never just drop by. Like a lot of people I work with, I would just drop by to say hi because I'm kind of a chatty person. I like making good relationships. I didn't do that because I found it just pulled too much from me and was too difficult. And, you know, when I had discretion on a project in terms of who I would work with or um, if I took on that project, I chose other projects that didn't put us together. So, you know, I was able to not be angry or harbor any kind of ill feelings toward the person. And I did my best to assume positive intent, but I recognized that us working together did not work for me. And so I was very intentional about limiting our time together because I just found it exhausting. So there are some times where you need to put in strategies that create some kind of a boundary and help you to avoid working with someone who is particularly difficult. So that's one. The second strategy I've had to use before when, you know, working with someone particularly difficult is just addressing that particular behavior um, that's getting in the way. And that is a, I put double asterisk by it because you need to make sure it's the right thing to do and that you're the right person to do it and it's the right time. So there's lots of things on how to have a difficult conversation that I'm not going to get into, but sometimes you have to address it, right? And set a boundary as needed. So. I had one time when I was leading a meeting and there was someone in the meeting who was just berating other people, just unkind, you know, talking about misses and performance in a way that just was, I just wasn't comfortable with it. I felt like it was, had a little bit of a mean spirit to it, not that they intended it, but had a mean spirit to it. And I just, I, I wasn't comfortable with it. So I can't remember if it happened once or twice, but after one meeting, I remember meeting with that person separately and I just told them, like, I can't lead a meeting like that. I can't have other people being treated like that. So either, you know, you have to address this behavior and show up differently, or you won't be invited to the meetings, or we won't have these meetings at all. Like, one of those things has to happen, <laughs> because I can't lead a meeting where I feel like other people are being treated unwell, and I not do anything about it. Um, and so I was really clear. It was really short. And the person changed their behavior after, not that they always would, but I was totally willing to uninvite them from the meeting as well, or just cancel the meetings. Like what I said, I meant, like I was willing to do any of those things. So sometimes you have to address it and have a more direct conversation with someone. And when I do have to have a direct conversation, one rule I have is, you know, always one-on-one, -on -one, of course. And I also always try to wait until my emotions have passed. So I can make it about the topic, about helping this other person, about helping them to understand how they're impacting me or others, and not about me and like my emotions or me getting this off my chest. <laughs> because when that happens, the conversation can get the best of us. 
And it can be said with the wrong tone. It can be said with the wrong words, with the wrong nonverbals and everything else. So, you know, when I do have to address it, I'm really thoughtful about just me and that person, the timing for me and them, and that I've gotten past the emotions enough that I can make it about them and the situation and not about me. Now, I realize sometimes there are emergency situations where something has to be addressed immediately, but that's not been my work context. You know, most of my work is not in emergency situations, though I recognize if you were in an emergency situation, you may have to address it right then, but I've not had to do that. And when you do have the time not to do that and to address it when you're not as emotional, it just tends to go better. So those are the five plus two strategies. I have some other ones, so we might make this a part two podcast in the next season, but these are my top five plus two that um, I really wanted to share today. So I'll just run through them really quickly. Number one, are they difficult or are they different? Is there something different about them that really makes it more frustrating to work with them? So they're not really a difficult person. They're just different. Number one. Number two, identify if you have a fear that is attached to the behavior they're showing that bothers you so much? Is there something about them that reminds you of you? And that's what makes it so frustrating to deal with. Number three, choose the most generous, the most empathetic, the most kind story you can about someone else's behavior. You know, try not to assume a backstory for people. And when we do assume a backstory, make it a generous, empathetic, and kind story. Number four, let them off the hook. You know, so that's back to the scripture, who am I to judge someone else's servant? And most of the time, I don't even have a hook to put them on anyway. So just let them off the hook, you know, acknowledge that people are growing in different ways. They are maturing in different ways. And that is okay. And number five, share it with a trusted and balanced friend. It helps us gain perspective. It helps us gain support. And back to that quote, a burden shared is a burden halved. And then our two plus strategies around sometimes you're working with someone who even all those strategies aren't working. What can I do? The first strategy is figure out boundaries to avoid spending so much time with them. You know, the shortened meetings, um, the, you know, choice of projects. What are the things you can do to just avoid spending so much time with them if they're exhausting you? And then two, sometimes you have to address it right? Sometimes you have to have that difficult conversation. And if you do, there's a great book called Crucial Conversations that I met some of you all have read that is fantastic in helping you have great conversations. But if you do, sometimes you have to address it. And when you do, you know, if you can, and it's not an emergency situation, make sure you get past your own emotions. So that can be more about the situation, the impact the person is having, and their own growth and development as opposed to about yours. So that's the tips. That's the five plus two. That's the seven tips. I hope you found it valuable and helpful. As always, let me know. Shoot me an email. If you're not on my email list, then you can jump into the show notes and it'll add you to my email list. You'll have my email address and we can correspond. I'm also always on Instagram at Arlene underscore Pace underscore Green. I hope this has been helpful to you. I look forward to hearing what strategies you're using in working with difficult people. I would love to learn as well, as well as hear how you're applying what we talked about. So thank you all so much for joining and be well. If 
you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You're also invited to join my private email group where just for joining, you will receive a checklist for getting your LinkedIn profile in top shape and a link to the first chapter of my book. Click join the crew in the show notes. I also invite you to visit my website where you can shop our t-shirt collection designed to help you fulfill your purpose, love your work, and enjoy your life. I have them all, wear one almost every episode, and know you will love them. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey. Let's go. Thank you.